Hello and welcome to Crippled Stump. Uh, welcome to our very first episode. And I, I was, we were thinking, what better way to pop our cherry than to talk to our very first uh, guest and to have our very first conversation. So I'll throw it over to our our guest to introduce themselves. Hi there. I'm uh, Mix Dennis Queen. I live in Manchester and I'm a, um, I'm a disabled campaigner. I've been involved in the disabled people's movement for about 20 years in, in lots of different ways, um, including the subject we're going to talk about today. And just to kick us off, I'll ask you the first question, which is basically to you, what is protest? What is protest? So what is protest is, protest can be a lot of different things. Um, it's not the only kind of campaigning or activism there is. There's lots of other ways to do campaigning and activism and protest is, is a form of activism that um, we use um, usually to speak out against something. Quite literally, it's a protest is usually against something. And at the same time, it tends to be for something as well. So it could be anything. Your our podcast could be a protest of some kind. Um, but also um, sometimes when people talk about protest, what they really mean is street protesting, which is something that I um, have done uh, I have done as well as other things, other kinds of campaigning. Um, and all sorts can be a protest. We've had knitters who protest by uh, knitting things into places. And again, and under protest, we've got all kinds of different resistance as well and different, even street protests, there's different kinds of street protests. Um, I think. What is it to you when when I when I say to you what is protest? What do you what do you think? Protest to me is about uh, making uh, to, to for one of a better way is making a stand and like uh, you know uh, having your voice heard and like like demonstrate to people that. The laws that they're bringing in to try to bring in, or the law that they have brought in, isn't working for everyone, or isn't fair to everyone. You know, it's uh, but protests over the over the years and over history in general has always been needed. You know, and uh, yeah. it's the only way. It's the only way to get. Shit done, essentially. <laughs> uh, it's, and it, it's certainly, certainly one of them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, and uh, we're gonna go on to talk about this, but you know, with this uh, anti-protest bill or crime and sentencing bill or whatever you want to call it, it it just seems like. They're just trying to shut down protests completely. 
and it seems to me like it is an extension of like and a demonstration of how successful protests can be because because I think well not just me but this has come about after the uh, how successful the extinction rebellion protests were in sh- shutting down large parts of society you know and and this is our government's response to those protests and to the black lives matter protests yeah where thank you pardon yeah i think you're right i think it very much is the a response to an increased amount of protesting successful protesting that has got across some really important messages and, and Black Lives Matter, of course, has been going for um, a number of years now, but they're seeing the movement growing. And as as they have seen with environmental protests, that street protesting movement has grown and they don't like it. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people do think that is why they want to increase police powers at this particular time. Yeah. And... And what makes it even more difficult is in, in this bill, they're just increasing, they're just putting into law the emergency powers they've already got anyway under the, under the um, COVID bill that they have had. You know, it's just an extension of those powers, really. So the point I'm trying to make there is some of these you know, but I brought in always as a temporary measure and then they become permanent. And that's mm. what's happening in this case, you know? And that now it's fucking ridiculous because now it if there's law if this bill passes, it will be criminal to cause a nuisance to anyone or to make excessive noise. You know? And so it's just unbelievable, really. Yeah, I think um, the crime and sentencing bill has got so much in it that's so wrong, in, in obviously including this, and they want to take this um, offence of public nuisance out of common law, where it has such strong defence um, and move it into a different kind of law where it will be easier to prosecute. Um, I think that usually the bar for public nuisance is really quite high. And I know because I've been arrested for that and um, been found not guilty of being a public nuisance, which, um, so I've sort of seen up close how that particular offence works and how, how high the bar is. I think they just want to be able to use that law more easily and convictions. So it's not a new offence to charge protesters with, um, but the way they want to change it and the kind of law they want to make it will make it easier to prosecute because it won't just be about whether somebody is currently being an enduring public nuisance of some kind. It's also about whether they have the potential to be a public nuisance and I'm, I'm a little bit worried that that pins it up to 
far too many things. Yeah, yeah, because like, like you say, the the I was looking into it the other day, and these these powers are always been there because they're in the nineteen eighty six bill, the the, yeah. the public order offence. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it carries a ten year jail sentence, so it was no small thing to be charged with um, for me as a protester. And I had good defence. I had a a lawyer who is experienced at dealing with protest-related offences. So I used Robert Lizard's solicitors, who are amazing. Um, and there was no there was no way I could be convicted of this charge. The bar, uh, you know, it was debatable whether it was a public nuisance. Some of the things that they use that particular part of law for are to close down, um, to prosecute somebody who has a bomb-making factory or to prosecute a business who's who in, in the course of their work is polluting their surroundings somehow, maybe with a lot of noise or other things. These are quite serious offences and they're not, they're not really appropriate for what essentially is a peaceful protest. I think as well, you know, what we're talking about is peaceful protests that they will now be able to shut down just in case they could be a public nuisance. And I find that, yeah, it's really worrying. Yeah. yeah, and especially in a country that years ago we were, we were talking about spreading democracy around the world. Mm. You know, and <laughs> and and now we're we're shutting down one of the tenets of democracy, which is protest. You know. Yeah, maybe maybe we just, we were just setting up capitalism. The world, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, it and it just seems like really ridiculous. Man, they've got a, a, a an offense in this bill saying if you if you damage a statue, you could get up to 10 years as well. Yeah, I think that one's just for Bristol, isn't it? You know, they've brought that in because of what happened. In Bristol, when the towers were top, when the statues were toppled um, last year, and that was an amazing protest. Yeah, yeah. yeah not, it, it's not been without criticisms that I have been sort of pleased to see um, lots of protests going on in Bristol. Bristol has a long history of problems with the police, and uh, it's no surprise that that's a location where there's a lot of protesting going on at the moment and not just protesting lots of other kinds of campaigning about it because that's the thing the protest protest is just the tip of the iceberg invariably it'll look like protests are the thing that have made a change happen but it's only because so what's that phrase you don't you know you don't crack a nut with a sledgehammer yeah so when something gets to the stage of protest there's usually been an awful lot of campaigning already going on and it starts small and people are not listened to and so it grows and then campaigns grow and really like i see protests as the kind of the last resort you know 
if we haven't been able to change things through those other kinds of work, then then we tend to take to the streets. And so there's a danger of it looking a bit like the protest did it, whereas usually for a long time before and certainly for some time after, other kinds of campaigners do an awful lot of work to bring us to that point, but also then to maybe turn anything effective that has come out of a protest into long-lasting things like new legislation or or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I do think it's quite important to see it as only one kind of campaigning, and it's only one kind of campaigning that I do. But it is often essential. When we're not being listened to, people start to protest. Um, and I think that's really quite straightforward and and the worry with the crackdown on the protesting is that things are getting worse for a lot of people and so it's a time when there is increased protesting the change in the law I think you're right is also related to the fact that the police have enjoyed having extra powers recently um, and of course they use them and they want to carry on using them but in the end the police will shut down any protest once they've had enough of it um, what they want is to be able to do that quicker and apparently quite violently in a lot of cases at the moment which is one of the issues obviously that's bothering both of us I know yeah and uh, I just wanted to take you back a little if you can can you remember your very first protest yeah yeah what, it, what was it Oh, uh, first the first street protest I went to was with Dan, the Disabled People's Direct Action Network, and it was in Newcastle and Gateshead. It was a three-day action, and I joined on day two of the action when um, the many of people in Dan were doing an occupation of a, uh, a civic building of um, Newcastle and Gateshead uh, Council. Um, and so my first meeting with Danners was helping set up front of house out the front and uh, 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 preparing for when everyone came out of the building later that day. Um, so we were kind of at the front doing leafleting and all those kind of other jobs. So I met when I met a lot of the Danners, I was actually lying on the ground at the time, having been drawn around in a line because um, we were there talking about um the we were doing part of the free our people campaign so it was about institutionalization and yeah so that was it was quite a big protest in for me um as a first thing and it was non-violent civil disobedience so that was uh, the type of street protest that i was learning about at that time and if you don't let me ask you, what year was that? Oh, uh, probably t it was either 2000 or I think it might be 1999, that protest. All right. The, the reason why I asked you that was just to get an idea. And I also wanted to, because I know you've been in a protest recently. So could you tell us your recent experience of protest? So what, the most recent one? Yeah. So, so having been shielding for more than a year now, um, I went out uh, last weekend to support our striking bus drivers at Queen's Road Bus Depot, who work for a company called Go Northwest. 
uh, and Unison had arranged a big protest event that day along with People's Assembly who had organised a cavalcade which finished up at the Queen's Road Bus Centre. So because I knew it was going to be a socially distanced protest um, and a solidarity march, I went I went there because, well, I haven't been around people for a year, but I really also wanted to be at the, let's just say there's a lot of other protests I would have liked to have been at recently over the last year. Um, I haven't been to those because I can't see how I can possibly safely stay socially distanced while the police are doing what we're doing. But um, it was good to join the rally and the march um, up in Crumpstall because I was, I, I thought it would probably be policed differently and it was. Um, and so, yeah, I did that, got to mar march at the bar. I didn't have to keep looking behind me and make sure I had space. And uh, and then I and then I came home, and that was that was really good to be able to exercise that right again because I feel like I'm going to pop at the moment. Yeah. How about well, you? When's the last one you went on Shabazz? Uh, when's the last time I went on? Oh, years ago yeah. now, a couple of years ago. Yeah, I went on an Acorn one, the last one, but uh, an Acorn and. Uh, uh, a general cut spawn in Manchester. Oh yeah, ago. I remember. But but the very first proper big demo I went on was the Iraq War demo. Oh, in London. That's the big one. I was there too. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a million plus of us marched. Yeah, like, and I was like. And that was like a million or two million people around the country at that time or, or just in London marching. And even yeah. th that number of people really didn't do anything, you know? Yeah, that's what it felt like, didn't it? It felt like um, an exercise in being shown that democracy doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, we, we all personally walked past Tony Blair's house, didn't we? And yeah. we asked him to please stop. And yes, it, it felt like it made no difference. I feel like that protest taught a whole generation that protesting is pointless. Yeah. And I think that really it wasn't until, you know, moving towards 2010 when students started having very big protests again that um, we started to see a new generation of protesters coming through and new protests being inspired by that from other movements as well. And that was that was kind of amazing. But again, it's symptomatic of what was going on. Things were getting worse for people. When things get bad, people start to have to resist. Um, there's really no other choice. It's, it's how we've secured all of our rights all the way through history is we resist and we campaign. And one of the ways we campaign is we do street protests. Um, the fact that the police can shut down any protests they like more quickly with these changes is it's not an improvement <laughs> let's put it that way not in my opinion yeah and and it also shows to me it also like you say it kind of put a generation off and to be honest with you it kind of put me off I was like you know if a million two million people can't change 
somebody's mind what's the fucking point yeah yeah you know yeah. I and, understand people feeling that way too and when when you're disabled it's love it's a it, I know it's difficult for everyone but on a practical level it's really difficult for a disabled yeah. person to be out in the cold generally or you know to be out of your chair or whatever you know to be chained to anything or anything yeah, like it's that tough. yeah it is tough for a lot of us yeah. and not as many of us can do it as we would like so we yeah. we can't call the great numbers that others can call to protest we we unfortunately our protests are quite small in number yeah and um, partly because for many people it's just impossible to join in that way but yeah. that's another reason why it's important we have lots of ways to join in with campaigning yeah. as well that you know that it's accessible to everyone and especially during a pandemic, you know, the, this is why why I like doing podcasts and stuff like that because it's my way of uh, protesting essentially, yeah. you know, and getting uh, everyone's voice out there and letting people know, like for example, what happened to you. And that reminds me, could you just go into a bit more detail? Like, what actually happened? Why you actually got arrested at a particular time? When I got, when I last got uh, arrested, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was last arrested in, uh, at the Tory party conference. And I've forgotten which year. I ought to know that. It's a few years ago now. Maybe 2015 or 2017. I think it may have been 2017. Probably, yeah. I mean, don't yeah. quote me on that, but but I think that was it. So I was arrested during protests against the Tory party conference. There were multiple groups organising protests at that time, and it had been a long day, um, and at the end of which there ended up being a blockade of trams in which I was involved, and I... Uh, ended up arrested as a result of being sat on the tram line um, on that day, yeah, um, and put in a police van and taken away and went to a cell for, I don't know, seven hours, nine hours. They have a tendency to wait till everyone's gone and let you out kind of around midnight. They're doing that a lot with recent protests as well. Um I don't know if there's any more in particular you want me to say about it, but yeah, I was charged with public nuisance and I engaged the lawyer who um, who supported me to get things sorted through court. Could I, could I ask you a really naive question? What, yeah. what Was the prison accessible? Was the cell accessible or...? You know? Well, they put me to a special, like, slightly more accessible cell. They okay. did have one designed with a bit more space and a wider door, um, which is very thoughtful of them. It's level access, except, okay. of course, they don't have accessible vans to take you there. So, uh, auto And there wasn't an accessible way in from where they park the prison vehicle to get you in. So I was lifted into the van and lifted out of the van and into the building. But then after that, it was accessible once I was inside. So to an extent, so I was able to wheel into the cell in my wheelchair, which was which was nice um, for a change. And 
but they took me to quite a far away station. I don't think that's the typical, you know, um, and it was quite new. So it was quite a new cell block in the building. And But it did not have an, any kind of accessible toilet. Usually a cell will have a toilet for you to use in it so they don't have to let you out to go to the bathroom. Um, and it did have a toilet in it, a, a typical police cell toilet. Um, but I couldn't safely use that toilet. They had another more accessible bathroom that I had to use somewhere else in the building. So that, that's what access was like. So it was not too bad once I was inside. Um, but it can be worse. It depends where you're arrested so and where they take you. Yeah, to my shame, I haven't been arrested yet. So, um, yeah. Oh, you don't need to say to my shame. It's not the... Getting arrested isn't usually the aim of a protest, although it can be. Yeah. There are organisations who, um, as, as the way they organise is that they intend to get a lot of arrests. But in general, it's not not really the aim. To be honest, I was I was kind of arrested uh, as partly as an accident on my part, mistake, because I didn't want my colleague to go to a cell on their own because um, it was their first arrest. So I thought I was following them down the station and in fact they'd booked them for a later uh, they'd booked and released them but they didn't tell me so I was trying to find out where my colleague was and if they were taking me to where my colleague was but my colleague wasn't there because my colleague had been booked and sent home but because they separate you all and they won't tell you anything there was no way of me knowing that so I actually needn't have been arrested at all <laughs> oh my god ah <sighs> uh. Yeah. yeah, so it's not it's not the aim. I mean, like I'm not on benefits, so getting arrested and charged and having to go to court is expensive. And I had a choice of whether to go to magistrate's court or crown court. And magistrate's court is cheaper, but you are less likely to get off. I'm not even kidding you. Crown court is more expensive, but you're more likely to get off if you were supposed to get off, right? So... Bearing in mind, I'm not guilty of the actual offence for which they charged me. So anyway, I chose to go to Crown Court, which I think they had not expected. And the judge was not really very happy that this offence had been brought to her at all. It's not the bar for what she would normally consider there should be before she has to deal with this sort of situation. It's, it's I not in a rude way, it's beneath her, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and her response was kind of, what is this doing in front of me? You know? Mm. Not you. What is this case doing in front of me? Yeah, what is this case doing in front of me? Yeah. So, you know, a peaceful protester has been arrested, and why why, why am I even talking about this, you know? Yeah. yeah I mean, and the thing is, um, you know, people a lot of the time don't go to a protest with a plan of being arrested. A lot of the arrests at the recent protests, I don't imagine people were expecting to happen. Um, But, but the protests have been um, sort of made very chaotic by the way they're being policed recently. So, which is why I haven't gone down to it. I know I won't have control over space, so I can't go because the police are kept people and all sorts. 
So, and that's only because normally I wouldn't avoid it, but I'm avoiding it because of COVID at the moment. Yeah. So, for example, there, you know, none of our disabled people's protesting organisations are organising protests at the moment because we need to wait till everyone's been vaccinated. So that's really hard. Not, not. I feel really. It, people don't remember us as it is on wider protests, but I feel like now we're going to be really forgotten because we weren't there. You know. Yeah. But what can we do? We're shielding and we need to wait till people have been vaccinated, end of. So. Yeah, because it's about uh, staying alive, basically, you know, it's a lot, you know, but, but the problem is a lot of these laws will, you know, affect our lives once we're out of the lockdown you know what i mean so it's like oh yeah it's kind of really it's kind of a tricky one essentially and uh, it's something that we constantly need to keep working out but it keeps making me think about uh as soon as the protest is kind of effective the law changes you know <laughs> Well, yeah, they, that, I mean, it's like trying to find an effective way to protest in, in whatever circumstances is, the, is, I suppose, the goal of any organiser, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, if they, they keep changing the goalposts, it gets harder and harder to find a way to protest that isn't going to get you a 10-year sentence. Because you do... And, you know, certain things just have a chilling effect, like, you know, changes to benefits had a chilling effect, so people were frightened to go to protests. What they're probably aiming to do more than anything is just put people off risk in going to protests at all. Yeah, because do you remember the Mark Duggan kill, killing and when yeah. people were protesting around that time and they were arresting yeah. people for licking bottles of water? Yeah. Yeah. Chucking them in prison for years and years. And, th and then you had the old, uh, again, you had the old Occupy movement and they were, they were just chucking people in prison for that. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden you couldn't protest out, out on, the, on the street and stuff like that. Or they changed the, 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 the law around uh, how you could occupy a building and stuff like that. Well, yeah, as well, and what's legal and not. So they'd already changed the law so that it was only really... They've been doing this ever since, not long after I started to do protests, they've been changing the law. It used to be we had to commit a crime before we could be arrested for something as well. But, like, that, <laughs> that's long in the past. When I started campaigning, when I started getting involved in activism, that was the case. We would need to actually have done something first. And now it, it, it's, yeah, they can do it for less and less. But effectively, the police have been shutting down protests they don't want if they're inconveniencing people since forever. They've always done it. The people at, from Faslane Peace Camp uh, nearly always have somebody in jail at any given time. Um, and that's been there, I don't even know how long, 40 years maybe, that peace camp. Um, so... It's a question of them want, just wanting it to be easier to shut things down, I think. 
You're right about that. And do you know what it's like for for disabled people around the world when it comes to protesting? Uh, some places. I mean, there's lots of places where people protest. We've seen protests of different kinds all over the place. And in some places, people haven't got what they need to be able to be in a position to do that. But, so it varies. And we don't know much about other movements. We struggle to stay in touch with our own movement in the disabled people's movement, let alone with others. That's very true, but... I was just thinking, even if we don't know about other places around the world, there should be a cautionary tale for people around the world that think that, oh, it can't be that bad in the UK for disabled people, you know? I want them to know what it what it is actually like on the ground, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that, that probably brings us to an interesting question, actually, is something that you asked me before. It's like, what what we should be campaigning about, you know, and if and when we get back to protesting, where do we start? And if and when we get back to normal life? I mean, our organisations have been campaigning throughout the pandemic, uh, but not, obviously we can't protest while there's, or we, we haven't been protesting while there's a pandemic going on because it's too risky. But um, there's been a lot of campaign work going on throughout the pandemic. Some of it's about our right to life, um, and things like the do not resuscitate orders and do not attempt resuscitation orders and the do not attempt CPR uh, notices, um, uh, whether it's the issues that are going on with institutionalisation and looking at housing. We've been looking at violence against women. So we've been doing lots of work as a movement around on different things. But yeah, protesting we haven't done. But I think what I would, what would you like? That was what I was going to ask you. What would you like to see us protest about when we when about we independent protest? living? Yeah, why? And, uh, and not not letting that issue kind of go, and the whole social care issue, and all mm. of that kind of jazz, because it it when you talk about social care, people just think of old people. Yeah. Old, old retired people, but uh, working like for want of a better word, working age people, disabled people need care, and not just disabled people. People that will have long COVID will need care as well. Yeah, you know, so st- stuff around like that, and the one the biggest thing I worried about is. Uh, because a lot of people don't know this government in particular is is brought in a load of new legislation, like there's the Overseas Operational Bill that makes it easier for so, for soldiers to commit crime. And there's, oh, a, no. there's, a, there's a Spy Cops Bill, you know, where... where where if you're a undercover cop, you can, you can, you can get away with more, you know. And there's obviously there's the 
There's the anti-protest bill, but the one bill I'm worried about for the future is the Human Rights Act. Mm. And they're going to bring, eventually they're going to bring a British Bill of Rights in. And I don't trust this particular government or any government for that matter to, to up, uphold our human rights as a population in general. Not, uh, forget just disabled people, just us as human beings, you know? You know? Yeah. So, so that that's why I'm worried. So basically, independent living and the Human Rights Act, really, I would yeah. say, is the answer to, you, to your question as far as I'm concerned. Because, because I don't feel like me and you are both involved in uh, organizations and movements and things, and we we talk to supposedly people in power, but nobody seems to have any power really, and uh, ev- everything just gets pushed through, and no, and nobody nobody kind of. They said they always say nothing about you without you, but to me that just translates to nothing about you without you, which means nothing about you without you with you in the room. But we won't we won't listen to what you have to fucking say. Just sit there and fucking be quiet, and you're in the room, and we're gonna make this decision, and that there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. It is really worrying. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know for like the last two decades, every year we say it's really worrying and it's really worrying. And the year on year, it just gets more and more worrying. I don't, I, I literally don't know what we can do about it apart from raise our voices. Yeah, and keep protesting. Um, I think protests that are going on right now are so important and really, really needed. Do you you think the bill will pass? I don't want it to pass, but I think they'll pass it. They're writing this shit themselves. They're going to vote it in and they all like it. And I, I don't even think most of the major parties provide any major kind of challenge to it. Because every government wants to be able to control its people, you know. Yeah. And yet, what you said before is what they should be doing: looking, looking after its people. That's what I think would be the point of a good government. And you, but this is about control. It's about social control, and it's also about state violence. You know, they want a, they want a carte blanche to use state violence against whoever they want. And let's face it; they've already been using state violence against certain communities on a continual basis since yeah. the police were invented. So there's that as well. You know, these issues around policing are really important. And I think because some of us are less affected by them, uh, people don't realise how much it matters. Yeah, people, what really what really baffles me about society is is that we don't seem to be bothered collectively about things until it actually affects us, you know? It's like nobody's bothered about COVID until they've actually got it. Well, and also, you know, again, like with the police violence, even 
a lot of the outrage about the police, never mind the people who um, who were horrified that police got injured when hundreds of them attacked thousands of protesters with weapons and had shields and animals and vans that they drove into them. The surprise when police get injuries, but I kind of think it's going to happen when you um, attack a lot of people. But it's for people that were outraged, then there's that feeling that for a lot of us, um, a lot of the people involved are people from white communities who haven't necessarily seen the level of police violence that is inflicted on some of the other communities. So communities of people of colour have always been policed violence violently on a daily basis, and it's part of normal life in some communities. And I think people need to understand that that, that outrage at police violence, we need to understand that going on every single day, that the problem is, is bigger than just this protesting thing. The problem is state violence, and the problem is, like, what, what are the other solutions to it, you know? Because they just create more violence. It doesn't fix anything. And, and look at the Sarah Everard vigil where people got arrested there, you know? Mm. Uh, and then the police will, will say on, in some protests that they, they, they broke some ribs. And it later came out that that wasn't necessarily true. What I'm saying is the press carry that story for days and then the police put it on the website that actually that didn't happen. But yet the mm -hmm. press don't cover that then because it's not, not a sexy story. No, it wasn't the same coverage, was there, of the fact that, you know, this, this report of at least two police officers having broken bones they, they they didn't now maybe they were being checked for broken bones which is what you do when someone's been injured in a way that could have broken a bone but they certainly didn't have them and you're right everyone reported the injuries but then they didn't make similar headlines about the fact that those turned out not to be the case after all yeah and again you're going to get bruises if you attack thousands of people you're going to get bruises. Not because people in general are going to attack you, because that's what happens. And I think a lot of people who've never been attacked by the police or had to fake police violence don't necessarily understand how difficult it is to face that peacefully, especially if you're new to it. Um, civil rights activists used to train together in, in dealing with that police violence it's something that it's not instinctive when someone starts attacking you. Most the instinct of most humans is to put our hands out and defend ourselves. The police will use even that as an accusation of an attack. So to be able to be attacked and deal with it peacefully is hard. And not everyone's had a lot of time to learn about it or practice it. A lot of people going to recent protests might have never been on a protest before. It might be their first time. And so I think, um, I think we have to be understanding about what happens when the police get really violent. And not everyone agrees that the only response is absolutely non-violence um, anyway. You know, there are people who would say there might be other ways forward. 
and of the kinds of resistance that needs to happen sometimes. So, but I think we've got to be a bit understanding of the fact that there's always outrage about those police and none of those articles say how many of the protesters were injured in the course of that. And it would have been hundreds of people. Yeah, because they, and just think about the heat at the moment when, you, when you're being confronted with co coppers and policemen and maybe a couple of them. In the heat at the moment, no matter how much training you've had, sometimes they may just go out of the window, you know? You know? Well, I think that, I think there's, an, you know, there's, it's known already that the that people find it difficult to not respond when they're being attacked, you know? Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's a, it's a well-known, it's a proved thing. Um, and I think this sort of brings us to some of the other subjects we were talking about. I don't know. I don't know very much about, but I think I would urge other disabled activists perhaps to become aware of and maybe learn about. And these might be some great people in these organisations that you might might want to do interviews with even, because there's lots of places looking at, you know, what the alternatives are, like why, why policing brings further violence, you know, creates further violence around it when it's violent. Um, and really this whole really this whole idea of like is there an alternative like could we be doing what if we didn't have the police what could we do instead how else could we manage issues that arise and there's lots of different ways people are looking at that as well yeah but in terms of like how um, how we can be effective citizens? What would your advice be to what 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 do you think we should be suggesting to people as like uh, effect collectively effective forms of resistance? Really, what advice would I give about effective forms of resistance? Yeah. I would say all, all resistance, all resistance has an effect. And I would say join in in whatever way works best for you, because there are lots of ways to join in. I think that's what I would say. Yeah. And, and reprotesting just, it's, I think all we can do at the moment, if, if we're going to protest, is prepare for violent treatment as best we can. Um, I have, if and when disabled people's organisations are able to take to the streets again after vaccination, so, you know, sometime later in the year, maybe in the autumn, like how, I don't know. I think it's a really good question. How are we going to, how are we going to organise protesting? What are we going to do? What are we going to expect? And, and what are we going to need to do to prepare? Because we, we've been used to usually our protests not being dealt with that violently, but some of them have been quite violent. Dan has been in some situations where the police have been quite violent, and so have some of the DPAC members have been in situations where the police have been pretty aggressive. And, what, and they can be 
and they lie. So last time I was arrested, they said I tried to attack them with my wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. I, I, just, um, I remember, like, a re good few years ago, there was a protester called Jody McIntyre, right? And uh, he was in a manual wheelchair, and the BBC was interviewing him. Uh, and they, they were saying, the cops were saying he was moving towards them in a sinister fashion. Now, yeah. now, now, if you're in a manual wheelchair and you're pushing yourself towards somebody, that's, I don't know about you, but when I've, when I've seen that, that doesn't appear very sinister to me. Man, anyone is just wheeling it however they can. Yeah. It's not easy either. It's a lot of physical labour. Yeah. I don't even know how you do when it wheels sinisterly towards someone. Yeah. Like, what does a sinister wheel look like? I Honestly, I don't know. Is Jody the same guy that was uh, tipped out of his chair on the on the student protests? He may have been, but I'm not sure on that one. But uh, one of the other things I thought we should have have a quick chat about is how do we as two disabled people talk to non-disabled people about the uh, the the discrimination we faced on protest, and how do we get non-disabled people onto our side? You know, because. Uh, in my experience, non-disabled people don't really think disabled people have really got it that hard. You know, they're probably all, all... It's only the people that get the services cut are the people that don't deserve it. You know? Oh. And, yeah. and the people that need the care and need the funds probably always do. And... How do we oh, convince yeah, those people that that's not the case? Well, I don't think it's the case. I don't know what you think. I don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> well, no, I don't think we're a bunch of lazy scroungers either. Yeah. I mean, I think, it's again, that's the kind of media rhetoric that the governments have been loving, haven't they? Yeah. And not just this, all the last several. So um, the... Yeah, I don't really know what I've forgotten what the question was there. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Was that, how, how do we how do we convince non how do we get non-disabled people on side and convince them of the struggle that we have to engage in? It might just be a shit question, I don't know. No, I don't know. Actually, I think I think the question is should we? I I think I think it's a tricky issue with so when we talk about the non-disabled public, a lot of activism we do isn't particularly aimed at them. It's a lot of it's aimed at getting disabled people involved and then, like you say, influencing people in power. And I don't think in the disabled people's movement ourselves, I don't think we do a lot of trying to educate non-disabled people. Do you think we should think be doing? Um, I think... I think what we need is to have them on side with our campaigning. But I think, like as allies, that would be nice, like if they backed up our campaigns. Um, and a lot more organisations, you know, some more organisations are switching on to that as well. Um, 
um, especially the sort of cutting edge of movements and people make contact with us. But I think a lot of the time in the movement, I don't think we see it as our job to re-educate non-disabled people, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Because um, we'd be there forever and it's their belief that they need to understand it all to just get along that's possibly part of the problem for me, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I, I wasn't suggesting that we need to do a re-education program. Um, uh, I'm just saying that, you I'm know... I'm probably misunderstanding the question. No, no. No, I'm just saying... I was just trying to say that should we be... Should we be, as disabled people, trying to get non-disabled people more on side? That was basically what I was trying to get at. Um, yeah. Maybe. There's, but there's always been a lot of questions about how much to involve allies because yeah. our history in because our history in the past working with allies is what's kind of led to scope and mencap and people taking over. So I think in the in the disabled people's movement we've had a tendency not to seek out that many allies. And I think maybe we do need to be seeking out more allies. Uh, especially around the areas where we need to learn, you know, like the things we need to learn from people of colour and their movements at the moment and and so on, and the women's movement um, and feminists. I think but we, we've been very cautious about allies because allies can... So in disabled people's activism, all of it, not just protesting, we've got to do things at our speed and we've come a lot of us from such disadvantaged backgrounds it takes us time to do our thing a bit like we protest differently to other organizations too um and the danger when we pull in allies too much is that we're very easily outnumbered by allies with the spare time and energy that we don't have and the skills and um it's easy to end up kind of outnumbered and not have control so we've we have had a tendency to keep ourselves to ourselves on the whole. Yeah. And uh, just in closing, is there anything you would lastly like to say to everybody out there? I think we need to be understanding of all kinds of protest and uh, I think we need to be understanding that when people face a lot of violence it isn't always easy to take that and whilst like you know yes the protests that I'm involved in are non-violent and that's what we want to try and achieve when we do them that doesn't mean we should judge the outcome of other protests that kind of that we weren't at and we weren't facing that violence that day because like if we don't face that violence on a protest, that's just because the police have allowed that. It's not because they couldn't do it and they wouldn't do it. And I think that's the thing with them, the understanding, again, why they want to tighten the law so they can shut things down quickly when they want to. And a lot of the time, the only reason they don't want to is because something's not very effective, so they don't care. That's why they want permission for marches, so they can make sure that everything's done in a way that doesn't inconvenience anyone and so on. You know, but that's not what resistance is about necessarily. It's certainly not usually what direct action type protest is about. And I'm waffling, but mainly I just want to, 
I want to appeal to other movement. Uh, no, just say what you like. This is our platform. We can say whatever we like. I want to appeal to everyone to understand that a lot of people face a lot more violence than we're used to on protests and also in their communities. And uh, we need to learn to be allies and understand why things have different outcomes on some protests, why people will end up defending themselves and resisting sometimes. And even if it's not what we would organise, oh my God, and even if it's not what we would organise, that doesn't mean we can't be understanding, you know, because I think I upset some of my colleagues recently by being kind of just impressed at everything that had gone on in, in, in Bristol, where to me, this thing that thousands of people had done a brilliant protest all day and yes, there was some more stunning resistance at the end. Some cop cars get set on fire and the police got some bruises when they attacked everyone. But that, to me, the big thing about that protest wasn't how many police were injured. And I feel like people distracting over to that topic are missing the point a little bit. And But kind of just because I wouldn't condemn those people doesn't mean that I think every protest should be a riot, you know, Um and I guess but I do want to appeal for understanding because those of us in mostly white-led activism communities, we just may not have experienced that level of violence, so we don't understand and, and we need to be trying to learn to understand. And there's a few organisations that I would, um, gave you links to, actually, Shabazz, which maybe we can put in the links to comments here. Um, but um, if you want to know more about how the police... Um, if you want to have, if you want to know more about, it. so on a local level, if you're in the Manchester area, we've got resistance labs who are working on uh, crunching data about police violence, uh, state violence, uh, and also recently made a report about taser use in great in the Manchester area. And most of which happens against people with mental health issues. So I wanted to shout out. Resistance Labs is a place to learn some stuff. Another place is Northern Police Monitoring Project, which is amazing. Um, and also, if you're interested in information on defunding and abolition of the police, which I'm really curious to know more about myself, um, Abolitionist Futures have got a really good website and they're working on that. So there are lots of opportunities for us to kind of educate ourselves, I think, is what is one thing I wanted to say. So thank you for that. Yeah, and yeah, like I say, this is this is a brand new platform, and it's a platform where we can say, get things off our chest and just have hopefully have a laugh and uh, yeah. you know make make a difference, make a change. And with that said, I I just like to say a very big thank you to you, Dennis, from the bottom of my heart for being oh. my very first. On uh, our very first. So thank you. Thank you. Bye. And goodbye. Bye.